0: all right our next guest you can see john dickerson as a correspondent on 60 minutes yesterday he sat with vice president pence on cbs's face the nation i was pleasantly surprised his new book is entitled the hardest job in the world the american presidency it is john dickerson on the phone with us how are you sir thanks for taking the time
1: i'm uh doing well uh i'm here in new york where we're having a hailstorm
0: it's uh it rained for about seven minutes here in Chicago. And then we had a thunderstorm warning. I haven't'm we're on the eighteenth floor and I'm looking at Lake Michigan right now. It's kind of overcast, but yes, the rain come in comes in and out. But I wanted to talk to you about uh, Face the Nation yesterday, John, because as soon as you I know it's edited, but when you walk into the room with Vice President Pence, he's got to have his guard up. You went at him yesterday or it was recorded. it was played back yesterday, but you went at him.
1: Well, I just uh, asked him about the discrepancy between his um, more optimistic uh, assessment of the coronavirus spread in the United States and what officials from, from the administration are saying, what governors of states like Texas, who talk about a massive outbreak, with the disconnect between um, some of the things that, were, that he was saying and, and what we're hearing from experts and, and governors in those states. Uh, and, and then what that means with respect to trying to reopen the economy, um, which is, uh, you know, the other part of this. This isn't just, a, obviously, as you know, it's not just a health problem. Mm. Um, it's not just life and death, but it's about trying to get the economy open
0: again. Right. Are, he's downplaying the health problems because they want the economy to get going again because of the election in November, in your opinion?
1: Well, they... Uh, well, no, I, I mean, that's obviously a part of the case, but it's also they want to get the economy going again because people's lives have been uh, devastated by the loss of income um, and the loss of meaning that comes with work. I mean, it's uh, it's psychologically quite uh, devastating to just be in this state of limbo where you're, you have to handle uncertainty so much, uh, and when the certainty of a paycheck is, is up in the air, it just is a... I mean, I think everybody wants the economy to get going again. Uh, the problem is that in some of these states, they uh, may have tried too early to get the economy going, and it, and it accounts for these uh, uptick in cases.
0: Boy, uh, Florida, you mentioned this yesterday on Face the Nation. The Florida, the cases are up 165%, and 1 in 10 people in Texas have the coronavirus. Yeah, I would avoid those two yeah, states. And-
1: and the, what the experts tell us is, you know, when you see a spike like this, it doesn't mean, uh, I mean, it means three weeks of bad news ahead. Um, it means that uh, death rates will go up. It just, it means, and of course, the, the, the precondition for uh, economic recovery, leaving aside the health questions, is that people have to feel confident in the slow reopening of America. And if something like this happens after they've been told, Look, it's past, and we can get back to uh, living normal lives again. Then, if it bites you back again, it undermines that sense of confidence that you need for economic activity.
0: Right. Uh, You asked a question yesterday to Vice President Pence why not ask people to wear masks? Why doesn't the president ask people to wear masks? And he didn't really answer that question.
1: No. I mean, what he said essentially was we think people should wear masks when the situation calls for it and they should follow their local uh, uh, officials and local ordinances. But the what we've found and what what these governors have found in other words, uh, you know, and these are not um, these are Republican governors because there has there has been this um, difference of opinion that splits along ideological lines where you have. Uh, states that are run by Democratic governors and would be considered blue states. People are more apt to wear masks. And in red states, they don't. But what we found is that um, the governors of these states where some of these spikes are happening are saying, wear masks. And the, the persuasive power of a president is strong, particularly in those kinds of states. And the president's message on masks has been considerably muddled.
0: Uh, we're talking with John Dickerson. Uh, 60 minutes. How are you filming right now? How are you doing those stories? What's happening?
1: Well, we just uh, we we just did our last story of the season. We extended the season one month, and um, uh, I did a story on reopening colleges, and went down to North Carolina and shot at uh, Chapel Hill, and then went to William and Mary, and then did some interviews in Washington. So we're we're doing it. We're not we're not flying all over the world the way we normally do, Um, and so we're gonna. One of our challenges for when the season starts again in September is is where international travel will be. Of course, new wrinkle in that is the European Union has now blocked travel from the U.S. because the U.S. has not been able to control the spread of the coronavirus.
0: John, I loved that college story, and I told probably a half a dozen people to look it up who have kids going to college this year. Wow, are they taking precautions, and should they be opening? I I think at the end of that story, I said to myself, I still don't know if it's the right thing to do to send kids back to college. What what were your thoughts?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, the University of Arizona system is uh, was going to open. Now that Arizona is seeing these spikes, they're reevaluating their their view. Um, it's you know, the, it's 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 important to have the schools going again for a lot of students. Being at home is not a great place to learn. They can't just um, do it through video conferencing. Um, There's also a lot that you learn outside of the classroom, which particularly for people from lower the lower ends of the socioeconomic scale, Mm -hmm. the only way you can learn this through community settings. Um, And um, what was most devastating about that story, though, of course, is the economic downturn has has uh, infringed on the ability of many families to pay for college, and many of these students who are the you know embodiment of the American dream to be able to pay for it because they've lost their jobs and and that's where it's a tr- it's a problem not just about the next semester but a problem for the next generation if they're if they're unable to stay on track to college
0: it's just crazy you know in uh, a lot of uh, parents have to make the decision are you going to send your kid to, let's say, the University of Iowa? I don't even know if Iowa's having the kids back. And uh, next thing you know, they're going to do online learning. Or are you going to save that money and send that kid to a junior college where he's going to learn online? It's going to be the same thing, but you're going to save yourself $38,900.
1: That's right. Which, you know, college costs are already a burden on most American families that have college kids. And, you So it's already a stretch, already a burden, and then in this fragile economic time, um, it makes it even more of a, a challenge to both pay the bills, or even if you've still been able to keep your job for one reason or another, the future is so uncertain, I think a lot of Americans are being even more cautious about how they spend their dollars.
0: Oh, with everything. John Dickerson on the line. John, I'm going to have you hold on a second. We're going to uh, check traffic and uh, take a quick break, and we're going to talk about your book, The Hardest Job in the World, The American Presidency. But first, Lauren, what do we have? The live and local sound of Radio Chicago, 720 John, John Dickerson from uh, CBS News, 60 Minutes on the line with us. His new book is entitled The Hardest Job in the World, The American Presidency. Do people freak out when they see you because anyone from 60 Minutes, they suddenly put their guard up?
1: <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't know where that sentence was going. Um, <laughs> yes. I mean, well, you know, it's a double. I mean, it depends. You know, the, the some people... Um, think that if they can get through a 60 minutes interview, they will have made their case and they will have proved that they've got nothing to hide or that yeah. they've got, you know, we, and, and we give them enough time. And, um, and a lot of times, you know, good hitters like real pitching. And, um, so there's a way in which, um, People, I mean, sure, people don't want to be exposed if they've got something to hide. But um, otherwise, people, uh, you know, um, like a a high-profile interview that gives them a chance to get their their point of view across as long as they've got a point of view that can be defended uh, with reason.
0: Right. If I see Anderson Cooper coming to my house, I think it's going to be a happy story. If I see you, it could go either way. Steve Croft, forget about it. I'm not opening my door. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. I don't. I, I Anderson can be pretty darn tough too. So I'd put him in that category. But Steve Croft, uh, some of his pieces, um, particularly some of the the hidden camera ones, he uh, he's tough as nails and and very cool in some um, pretty tense circumstances.
0: Did you grow up watching Steve Croft on sixty Minutes? He was the new guy back in the day.
1: Uh, yeah, no, I was, um, I'm, uh, maybe older than I sound. I, uh, watch, I watched him, uh, I mean, growing up, I was already grown up when he was, um, when he was, when he was on, um, and, uh, but I, so I grew up watching the original, um, 60 Minutes, Mike Wallace and Harry Reisner and, um, and Morley Safer and, um, Ed Bradley. So, um, I, you know, that's, that's the, I grew up watching it at, in its earlier, uh, incarnation.
0: Got it. Um one of my favorite memories is having Mike Wallace on the air here at WGN Radio. It was just wonderful. You know, I, I Ed Bradley came on with us back in the day. It was just great. John Dickerson on the phone with us. Tell me about your book, The Hardest Job in the World, The American Presidency. You covered the White House, right, for uh, Time magazine? I covered the White
1: House for time. I covered it for, uh, basically, I've covered the White House in one way or another since the um, Clinton administration, Um, and I've covered politics as well, presidential campaigns. Um, So I've covered both sides of the campaigns and the the, uh, White Houses. And after doing that for almost 30 years, the disconnect between the way we talk about the presidency in campaigns and the way the job actually exists, what you have to do as a president. Um, There's just such a gulf between those two. The book was really an examination of why there's such a, a distance between the two and what we can learn about the job itself so that we can maybe think differently when we get into one of these presidential campaigns.
0: Well, give us a peek inside the presidency, like a day in the life. I feel like there's a lot of press conferences, a lot of shaking hands, you're kissing babies. Then you have to make a decision about a foreign country. Is that basically it?
1: Well, yeah, you've got – I mean, much of the presidency we don't see, and I don't mean we don't physically see the president what they're doing. I mean, it's secret. It's um, covert operations. It's national security concerns. We spend so much time talking about domestic affairs in presidential campaigns, and then when you get into the office as a president, your your timeshare shifts almost completely. You spend more of your time thinking about foreign leaders, thinking about national security, Worrying about those issues, in part because they usually, uh, you know, a covert operation or um, a national security issue can lead to the loss of American lives. Um, and so but then you have to keep track of the ceremonial parts of the job, which you have just mentioned, the, right. the public appearances and all of that. And you have to do one minute. You can be. Welcoming the end of you know the uh, the women's college volleyball team, and the next minute you can be making a decision about a drone attack, and they, that's what your day is all day long, switching back and forth between those things. Meanwhile, you're trying to push an agenda through a process that was designed by the founders to be slow and uh, and grinding, but that has almost collapsed entirely because of partisanship and a variety of other things. So that your efforts to make progress on the domestic sphere are frustrated by a, a variety of things that have gotten harder, and also just the fact that the system was built to be more difficult so that it would encourage compromise.
0: Right. So you covered the, all the presidents from Washington to Trump, correct?
1: I did. I didn't do every single president. I mean, I mentioned many of them, but some are, um, uh, you know, Millard Fillmore doesn't, isn't telling me a lot that I need for what I was uh, doing, but... Um, I spent some time on Washington and the early and the founders and the framers because they had a design for the office. And then, and then I basically jumped to FDR and look at the modern presidency using the founders and the original um, thinkers of the office to, to give us some reflection on the way the office exists today.
0: Now, what have you, what have you found out about the modern day presidents that you can share with us from Clinton to George W to Obama to Trump?
1: Well, the, what 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 happens is that because congress has become a weaker institution you have um more things that are put on the presidential to-do list. And then you have parts of the job that have just become more complicated. We don't face the threat of nuclear war the way we used to, but in national security, the number of threats and the complexity of them have grown. So you have different kinds of terrorism now that we didn't used to have to worry about as much. Right. Cyber terrorism is yeah. a new and frightening world. And then if we look at the economic devastation of both the pandemic but also the Great Recession in 2007 to nine. The president has to play a role in managing the economy at a lightning quick speed it 's not the slow devastation of the great great depression in the 30s it 's something where markets can buckle over the course of a few days global markets and the president has to rush in with his team to address that in a way that the president never had to in previous administrations um, and we turned the president into the central character in our political lives, which was not at all what the founders wanted and it's It's a problem because a president, a single single president is not where we should look for all of our political solutions. (laughs) And when we keep going to that window, we're going to be disappointed.
0: Boy, the anger towards our current president. I mean, the anger towards presidents in general, especially on social media, is ridiculous. Everybody's so angry.
1: Well, that's in part because social media rewards anger. They do. It's designed to... It's designed to poke your anger about, you know, whether it's presidents or sports teams or or celebrities of any kind. It's designed to get your hottest emotions going because that's what keeps you reading and clicking. Mm -hmm. And those who misbehave and show themselves to be brats in the public square tend to get a lot of attention. um, And so it is the worst place for any kind of delicate, subtle, or um, uh, important conversation to take place, and yet it's the place where a lot more of that conversation is taking
0: place. Boy, for real. John Dickerson on the phone with us from 60 Minutes. The book is called The Hardest Job in the World, The American Presidency. Do you get into the uh, certain type of uh, personalities with the presidents? Because in the past, I've had the opportunity to talk to President Carter, who was Very engaging, very likable. I had the opportunity to talk to President Clinton. I understand the Clinton factor, and he was only on the phone, not in person, but he felt like and made me feel like he was my best friend. President Obama used to come on with us uh, when he was senator here in Illinois. So I've, I've seen a peek into some of the president's personalities. Are you, do you talk about their personalities when they're in office? I do some um, more as it relates to the
1: job. So what you're talking about is that public persona, the the ability also, though, in in, so that's important in trying to sell a program. Obviously, it's important in getting elected, but it's also important in consoling the nation after one of these awful moments that we have, whether it's a shooting or a disaster of some kind um, uh, or some disaster of some other kind. But then privately, there's a whole different part of the presidential temperament and character that is fascinating and, and really interesting. And I spent a fair amount of time on thinking about what does character actually mean when you have to do the job? Uh, and and the ability great presidents have had to basically live in a job where everybody's coming to you and looking for an answer, and you have run for president promising the moon. But then in the actual job, a lot of what you'd have to do is is basically let things develop, wait for things to to develop. Yeah. And then when you so that's hard enough. Nobody likes uncertainty. But then the other impossible thing is the decisions you make are not between something that's going to be good or something that's going to be bad. Anybody can make those decisions. Often you're deciding between two very bad options and you just have to pick the least bad option. A day full of that tends to wear on the brain. Oh and my gosh. so that's where they, the, the presidential attribute of temperament is uh, something that, that I talk a fair amount about, and it's uh, really required for the office.
0: Well, it's interesting when you see the before when they got in the office pictures and after, like Obama had dark hair and the gray hair. Same with most of the uh, the presidents. It's, it's stress. It's nonstop stress every single day. I would never want to do it.
1: Yeah, it's no day at the beach. And in fact, we've, we've, this is another way in which the job has gotten harder. We don't let presidents go on vacation, really, or play golf. I mean, they do it, and then they get hammered for it. Um, I mean, uh, Eisenhower, who I spend a fair amount of time thinking about and talking about because he was a leader and he also thought about leadership, was on vacation quite a lot. And the reason he was is that he believed that only if you recharge are you going to be able to do the actual job. But today, if if you go golfing and it, and there's any problem at all, Forget you're seen it. as asleep at the switch. <laughs> right. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> and and if, and 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 in a job that's like a vice on your head, if you don't get a chance to break out of the job for just a minute um, to relax, you're going to be so overwhelmed just psychologically it's going to be very hard to make the kind of cool reason decisions that you need to make in that job All
0: right john pleasure to talk to you thank you so much we'll have you back in the fall uh, when 60 minutes starts up again okay
1: hey that's great thanks thanks for
0: having me thank you and enjoy your summer that is uh, john dickerson from 60 minutes the hardest job in the world the american presidency